Okay, so uh, welcome to class number six, five, six. Welcome to class number six or five. Um, okay, so I'm gonna do my best to kind of pick through what I heard here and weave it in to a, a narrative that makes sense. So. I guess what I was hearing over here and also over here, it's kind of, okay, so when I was in high school, I was diagnosed with ADD. <clears throat> and I went to a doctor and they prescribed me with a medicine called Focalin, which sounds like something from a movie, uh, but it was real. And I took it, and I could focus amazingly. I, you know, I take it, and I could make these like almost realistic, photorealistic pencil drawings and stuff. My mind really became super focused. But um, I wasn't really able to eat, and I started to have anxiety attacks from it, so I stopped. And over the years, I've kind of just come to accept that I'm not someone who does good in structures. I don't like somebody telling me that I'm supposed to sit somewhere and listen. It's not interesting for me to do that. I like moving my body. I have bodily energy that I need to use. Um, and when I was a kid in school, I had more pressing issues than math. I had a lot of difficulties at home that I didn't know how to deal with. I had a lot of social kind of problems that I wasn't really sure how to deal with. And if your cup is already full, how are you expected to pour more things into that cup, so to say? So what for me was simply a, a lack of interest, um, because I mean, I you know, grew up watching TV, playing video games, so my mind you know, was trained a little bit to be jumpy. But at the same time, if there was anything that really engaged me, I was totally there. You know, I think something like ADD would be if you really wanted to know something, if you re really wanted to be engaged but you couldn't be, that's something else. I think that for me, I actually didn't really want to be, I didn't care about the environment that I was in and that's why my mind wasn't able to hang out because it was not interesting and it felt oppressive and kind of forceful. And any time I feel myself in oppressive and forceful situations, I get a similar response where I feel very bored, my mind's not interested, I try to escape in some way. And I don't believe that that's a disease called ADD. I think that's just like a human mind and how it functions. Some people have a little more ability to just be in a situation and some don't. And some can easily just find clarity and interest and contentment wherever they are and some need it to look a specific way. And I think that's just the differences in us. So um, that's why there's things like sitting meditation and walking meditation and then there's mantra chanting and then there's Johan on his elliptical machine with his eyes closed. Um, that there's a hundred different ways it can look. There's many ways to access this, to get in. Um, in Buddhism, we say there's 84,000 methods. And 84,000 is an Indian term that just means like endless, like you can't count to it, just a lot. So we kind of recognize that all of us are very different. We all come from different places. 
We all have different minds. We all have different programming, all different conditioning. And there's many different, as many different access points as there are different places that our minds are. If you could imagine that there's like a big map of a forest and in the middle of that forest, there's like this beautiful well with this fresh drinking water and like a little fountain and you know, gold cups or whatever. Um, so like it's magical well right in the middle of the forest. But then uh, I was seeing this well and then I was seeing this huge grid of the forest, almost like a GPS screen. And I was seeing each one of you kind of as a little blinking light in a different part in that forest. You know, some people would be a little bit more to the north, some a little bit more to the east, some a little bit more south, some a little bit west, that each of you would kind of be in a little bit of a different place. And my job would be to find, you know, okay, these people are very restless and discontent. How to bring those people towards that well. These people over here, like you're saying, like they, maybe they judge themselves too much, right? Maybe they're constantly thinking something else should be happening so they're pushing, 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 and it's not working. They get frustrated, and they want to give up, and they push more. They think they're not pushing enough, right? So those people are maybe a little bit over here. Then there's people to the south, which are just kind of drowsy and very, like, laissez-faire. And it's like, oh, it's nice to sit here, but nothing really happens. Maybe they kind of fall asleep more than actually meditate or focus. Then you have people over here who are stuck in, like, sexual fantasies or, like, thinking about the past or their shopping list or, like, the storm that didn't come today. Or, you know, all these things that have to do that their minds are just kind of jumping into fantasies and all this stuff. You know, and, and our minds all go into different places. And that's because of our conditioning. That's because of how we've been kind of groomed, I guess, through our family, through society, through our own set of experiences and understandings. And that's kind of like what my work is a little bit, is to try to play around with that. And that's why my talks sometimes go a little bit more in one direction, a little bit more in the other direction, because I kind of try to pull everybody in from different sides. But that's also just to the best of my ability, because I'm also just where I am. You know, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit closer to the well, so I can say, oh, you guys, you need to go a little more north, you have to go a little more south, you know, try to bringing everybody towards the spot that I'm standing, so to say. Um, but there's really no right or wrong way to do that. It's more that I try to help you find the right or wrong way for yourself. And living in a monastery with a Zen master, you know, a Zen master's job is to kind of point out where you're stuck. And there's a lot of different ways they'll do that. One of the ways is to kind of push you so far into your suffering that you break and that you have no choice but to start getting better. Um, that if you could imagine that, you know, for instance, uh, you know, I, I had wanted to go to California, right? There's a part of me that wants to go to California and do this thing, right? So, oh, I want to go in the sun and beach and forests and all these beautiful things. And then there's a part of me that feels afraid and thinks, no, I don't know what's going to happen there. I want to stay. So I have these two parts of my mind that are pushing and pulling on each other, creating this tension. So if somebody came to me and said, yeah, you should really do it. You should go to California. It's going to be great. That would put pressure on the fear, right? It's almost like they would become that one voice that says, yes, do it. And then I would start to embody the, no, 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 the resistance. But if somebody came to me and they said, you know, it's really great here. You should just stay here. Yeah, the world is scary. Don't, don't go out there. Anything could happen. You know, 
then what would start happening in me would be like, yeah, but uh, I really need to go somewhere. I want to get out. And it would almost push me in the other direction. And, you know, sometimes there's easy solutions. Sometimes those solutions take time. But I think, right, like what a Zen master would do is they would kind of see where you're stuck, kind of understand what the situation's about, and kind of like a cat with like a ball of string would kind of like hit you back and forth a little bit to see what's going on. And then they would kind of see, oh, okay, that's the problem. And then they would push you so far into one direction. You know, they'd say, okay, so actually I'm going to see, you know, I have this really great opportunity here, but I'm going to need you to commit to staying here for 10 years. You know, is there going to take one side of that should I, get, should I go or should I stay mentality? And they would say, uh, I'm going to ask you to commit to staying here for an extended period of time to put like a giant pressure onto one side of that scale that the other side kind of comes up and screams, maybe knowing very well that they don't actually have a position for you. That they're just saying that because they're trying to push you to really finally say, no, I need to get out of here. Because they found out that that's actually what you want, for instance. And one of the most important lessons is the lesson of non-judgment on ourselves. I have really found that we are so judgy on ourselves and we don't even realize it most of the time. It's judgment in forms of expectations, of ideals, right? Of who we should be, what we should do. Um, I know for myself, I have like a very strong and very rigid moral compass I have, like, I don't ever tell lies, you know. Um, I, you know, I'm really kind of strict in my moral compass. Um, you know, I was like a strict vegetarian. I didn't, like, you know, I, didn't, I don't steal. I don't kill things. Even like an ant or a mosquito, I don't kill. You know, I blow them, you know. So I have, like, this very strict moral compass. But since coming back to America, I've started eating hamburgers again because they taste good. And I'm constantly then in this dilemma where morally, I'm super against the meat industry. I love animals. I really, really love animals. I connect to them when I see them. They're like people to me. So the fact that I'm eating a dead animal that was killed in this whole thing, it, it's like the feeling of hell. It's like this horrible torment feeling that creatures have to live like this. It's, it's insane. And then there's another part of me that says, but I want to eat the hamburger. And I was a vegetarian for 10 years, you know, I did that and it was fine, I was okay, it was fine. And, you know, I don't buy lots of meat, but every now and then I'll get a hamburger when I'm out. But I see that there's like these conflicts inside of me, that there's multiple facets of myself and they don't necessarily fit. You know, so I feel the strict moral compass, but then I have just like a normal Sensor, sensual or sensory urge to eat this thing, to have this taste, to get that feeling of getting this thing. It's pleasing and satisfying on some level. And then there's the tension between those two things. And then I often feel guilty about it. Oh, this feels good, but I feel bad because I'm hurting something. Or I try to push that feeling away and just do what I want. Um, and there's like a judgment involved. And there's kind of all these different layers. And I mean, this is, we're just talking about eating a hamburger here, you know? And Think about your life. Think about your relationships. Think about your job, the places you're living, how you handle yourself in every situation all day long. There's so many times um, 
that we have conflicting voices, conflicting views, conflicting parts of ourselves. When I was doing in my bedroom in the monastery, I did a three-month silent retreat where I did 100,000 prostrations, which are these full-length Tibetan bows. So I lay my body fully down on the ground and stood up and lay down and stood up. And I did this 100,000 times, so 1,200 a day for these three months, you know, facing a Buddha statue. And it was this crazy experience, um, not talking to anybody, just like alone in my room. Went crazy multiple times, you know, kind of came back, went crazy again, came back, cried every day for like a month. Like just all this stuff came up, really intense. Um, and it was during that time that, you know, and I, and I was like making, you know, my will kind of like iron, like hardening, just going through it and, um, and all sorts of deep kind of resistances would come up and I'd feel trapped and I felt like I was in just like a desert, just trudging along and there was no end in sight and I just had to keep going, you know, and it, was, it was miserable and all these things and heavy, but I just had to keep going. And I remember, um, that towards the end of the retreat, I reached a phase and I called it going through the eye of the needle. And I can only describe it as that because I felt that suddenly something really, really, really deep started coming up in me. And I couldn't exactly identify it, but it was something like, uh, it almost felt like an energetic trauma that was deeper than even I could even imagine happened in this lifetime. I don't even know what that means. But it was the feeling that I was doing these prostrations and I felt like trapped because I had to keep going. And I started like panicking, but on such a deep level that like my body went cold. I was like in these cold sweats, I was shaking. I literally had to say to myself, Seth, can you go down? Yes, I would go down. Okay, can you stand up? Yes. Okay, can you go down? Yes. Okay, can you stand up? So I had to literally just go up and down, up and, and keep that kind of a focus just to get through it. And I would say, like, Seth, I'm doing this because I want to do this. I want to get through this. I want to make this experience. I want this achievement. I want to go through this process fully. And then I would stand up. And then I would just start to walk away and go to get a drink of water. And I'd say, Seth, what are you doing? Keep doing the prostration. Seth. oh, yeah. And I would go down and I'd go and I'd stand up. And I'd go and I'd stand up and I'd say, oh, yeah, I, I really need to journal about this. This is super important. And I'd say, Seth, what are you doing? You're supposed to be finishing the prostrations. Oh, yeah. And I'd go and I'd go down and I'd stand up. And I'd go down and stand up and I'd say, oh, I need to go sit on my balcony. He's like, no, Seth, you need to finish the prostration. And I felt that I was like, on the craziest, deepest level, doing everything I could to get out of the situation. And I could only describe it as like what, a, what an alcoholic or something must feel. This feeling that you don't want to drink anymore. Your heart doesn't want to drink. You see that it's destroying your life and your family and your body. You don't want to drink. And then the next moment, in the exact same place in your heart that says, I don't want to drink, the next moment says, God, I really want a beer. And then you say, no, you don't want to drink. Oh, yeah, I don't want to drink. And then you like, yeah, phew, good. I got over that. Well, let's go celebrate with something to drink. And it was like the same place in my heart in one moment said, I want this. And then in the exact next moment, in the exact same place in my heart, in the same voice said, I don't want this. I want this. I don't want this. And it was, as, it was the most confusing 
just minds, like crazy confusing situation. But it kind of was showing me this really deep truth about kind of like what it means to be a human and also like what the mind is and also that like none of it is me. It's not like I, I want one of those two impulses to be me. I want to be like I am the one that wants to do the prostrations and it's my habits that are trying to pull me off. Right? Or if I was Christian, I'd say it's like the devil trying to pull me off. Right? Or it's like, I want it to be something else trying to like knock me off the path. But it's me that wants to be on the path. But what I had to come to terms with were they're both equally me and not me. That me wanting to do it is me and me not wanting to do it was both. The, and that was me as well, equally. And it was difficult to realize that there's a part of me that's completely self-destructive that doesn't want to do what's best for me, that's very powerful in that wish to not want to do what's best for me, that wants to just do whatever it wants. And it just kind of sneaks up on me that I'm doing good, I'm doing the right thing, and then boom, I'm just hit by this other energy, and I'm suddenly over there doing that, and I have to bring myself back, and boom, I'm gone again. And what that started to show me was all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the remorse uh, and resentment towards myself that I had carried throughout my own life through different things, through things that I had done that I wasn't proud of, through times that I, I wanted to be one way but I was another way. Um, I saw so clearly in that moment that there, there is no use to feeling those feelings. And on top of that, the actual only way forward is to forgive myself. The actual only way forward is to understand that, to understand this multifacetedness of us, to understand that we are all just doing our best. All of us are just doing our best. And even when I was doing the thing that was hurting me, in that moment, for whatever reason, that spot in my heart felt, this is what I need. It wanted to get out of that situation. It was, in its own weird, twisted way, trying to help me by distracting me, by saying, go and do something else. Because it was such a great pressure to be always doing the right thing and to always be doing that next prostration. And when we start to see that we are not as in control of ourselves as we would like to be, as we think we should be, as other people judge us for and we judge other people for, right? You see stuff on the news and you're judging every single person you see. You know, I see people talk and it's like we're judging, judging everybody's minds. And I'm the exact same way, right? But it's like so easy to look at someone else and, you know, blame them, put something on them. You know, I go on Facebook and I'm having these like battles with people. I'm like, God, these people are so blind. They only see their one side, you know. And those people are like, God, this guy is so blind. He's only seeing his one side. It's the same thing. And the more that we just kind of can drop down into that very specific understanding 
of the, the fracturedness of ourselves, that there's so many different parts and aspects of ourselves, and they're all competing with each other and trying to be heard and seen and act out and compensate and feel good. And then we see that that's actually happening in everybody else, and not everyone has had any kind of meditation or mind training. And some people have lived like incredibly traumatic, stressful, difficult lives. You really start to just feel the general kind of suffering in yourself and in the world. And with that also comes this general compassion for yourself in the world. That you really see like, God, like, yeah, we are all just so lost and we are all just trying so hard. And we're never going to be the person that we want to be because it's exhausting and it's hard. It's not sustainable in some way. But when we can start to drop down into that place of understanding and compassion and forgiveness and gentleness, we become actually more soft, more open, more understanding, more flexible. And then we actually, from like the ground up, start to become the person that we wanted to be, but in a different way. One of my friends, he said to me, it's like, you know, I'm always trying to get over the bar. I'm always trying to jump over this bar of my own expectations. He's like, and then one day I realized I can just go under the bar. You know, we're always trying to be this, this idealized version of ourselves, what we could, what we should be, and not realizing that that should, we're just holding that up in front of our own face and trying to aspire to it, not realizing that we could also just drop it and that we're actually fine just like we are. That there is nothing that we're supposed to be doing, that we can be doing differently. In fact, the only problem is that we think things should be otherwise. And this is like a hard one to really wrap your head around. That our only problem is that we think things should be different than they are. And when you start to get into that space, you never have another question about how's my meditation practice. You never really ask, how am I doing? Because you know exactly how you're doing. You're just not judging or comparing. Does that mean we become passive blobs who just like lie on the couch and watch Netflix and don't go to work and don't take care of ourselves because we've just accepted who we are? Of course not. Although maybe you'll do that for a little while, I don't know, but you'll realize that that's not necessarily fulfilling for you, that you'll start living your life from a place that feels more authentic, more genuine, more inspired. You start to do things because you want to do them in a deeper way. You're not pushing, you're not forcing. And this is, I guess, called being kind to yourself being gentle to yourself. And then you get to that point that if you're in a place where your mind feels relaxed, um, it doesn't matter how you're getting there. And also, you know, when you walk down the street, you can just look around at the trees and feel your body walking and be in such deep gratitude and appreciation just for being alive that it becomes walking meditation. And you're not walking like a zombie, you know, like, and everyone's staring at you like, what is this person doing, you know? You could just walk normally down the street, enjoying yourself, and the mind is so happy just to be there. 
because you're not putting any of this extra weight on yourself that you're kind of just at this place of contentment just by being. And that's when meditation on a deep level has integrated itself with the mind that your daily life becomes just so present and content and okay that you're not really struggling, you're not really suffering. Even like me, when I see that my mind is restless, that my mind is super active, that I'm thinking of things, I don't see that as a problem anymore. I just see it and I say, okay, that's what, the mind, that's what this mind is. And because I treat this mind with such acceptance, that energy of acceptance fills the mind and then guess what happens? The mind relaxes because it feels accepted. So it's one of those crazy things that when we stop trying to fix ourselves, when we stop trying to change ourselves, when we stop judging or pushing or forcing or trying to get somewhere, when we really just let go and allow ourselves just to be however, whoever, whatever we are fully, the most revolutionary thing we could probably think of doing, actually, the mind then completely opens up and becomes happy, content, and present. When we give up and let go, that's when the mind actually starts to move forward and not vice versa. So, my thought for this evening, since we've had so many classes and we're all now experts in meditation, is that I would expand the time for our sitting to something like 40 minutes. And I want to put us all in that place where Maybe we even get to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe we even feel tired or this isn't working. Maybe even some people might break a little bit. And to really just go through that, just to be in whatever you're in, and to not think it should be any different. So that's my impulse for tonight. And so I guess what that means is that we will be skipping the walking meditation today. And we will be doing a long sitting meditation and maybe at the end we can share something like this. Okay? If there's anybody that feels right off the bat they don't want to do that and you want to go home, it's okay, I won't take offense to it. But also for people I want to give the option that if at any point during this it does get too much and you're like in a seat and you want to just silently stand up and just be standing a little bit, you may do that. If you're on the floor and you're sitting and at some point it's too much and you want to just lie down, you can do that. So I'm also giving everybody back doors. 
and then it's really in your hands. So I'm not here to force or push. I'm here to facilitate a situation that has the potential for transformation. But at the same time, I'm giving each one of you a way to say no to that if it comes to that. So at any point, you can lay down. At any point, you can just silently stand up and just do a standing meditation and then sit back down if that's what you need. And otherwise, we're just going to sit through today and see what happens.